We're the dynamic CEO of Estates PropTech Incorporated. Matthew's entrepreneurial journey is diverse and fascinating, spanning from writing and publishing a novel during his teen years to delving into deep stop stock trades. He's a self-taught expert in the fintech realm with a rich skill set in project management, asset securitization, tokenization, and much more. Beyond his professional accolades, Matthew believes in ambitious hard work, loyalty, and making a positive impact. He's a lover of music, passionate about fitness, and is known for his unparalleled self-discipline. Many see him as an embodiment of dedication, setting high standards, and embodying accountability in all he does. Matthew Schneider, what an impressive introduction, man. What led you into entrepreneurship? I would love to hear your story. Yeah, I've really been thinking about this lately, and I think it kicks back to my childhood. And I didn't realize this until I really thought about it, because for me, entrepreneurship recently meant, oh, the first time I try to get into business. But I realized that entrepreneurship is just accountability, taking responsibility, going off on a venture. And so for me, honestly, that started with my childhood YouTube career, uh, if you could call it a career. I was really into creating content. And of course, it can be monetized now and you can go really far with it. But as a nine and 10 year old, I didn't have that vision and it wasn't really where the state of YouTube was at. So I was developing a brand for myself. I was putting content out. I was recording. I was bringing people together. We would get on gaming sessions and we would uh, put stuff out on our channels. Of course, I grew out of that eventually. And my next thing was writing. I was really into writing. And so I, I, either my freshman or my sophomore year, I decided I'm going to see how far I could get with this. I want to see if I can make money off of this. I've always written really long stories, complicated stories. What if I were to turn it into something that uh, was professional? And so I sat down, I spent a year writing every evening and I had a 90,000 word manuscript that I submitted to a publisher and they accepted it, which was phenomenal. Uh, and they're actually called uh, Gen Z Publishing, which is very applicable to who I am. Didn't get too many sales, though. So that was like the my first big failure in the book, uh, no pun intended, where I didn't have a good marketing strategy. Maybe the story wasn't really there. I didn't have the network. But it was still a really cool opportunity to have written something and then start to call myself a published author. So after that, I decided to get into music. I've been playing music. Uh, or playing instruments my whole life. And I thought maybe I could take this skill and again, monetize it, turn it into something that could be distributed uh, and professionalized. So I uh, started producing stuff on my computer. I would uh, hook up my keyboard, play with different uh, synthesizer sounds and make beats, tunes, and put them on Spotify and all the other distribution networks. A lot of people said that the music sucked. Um, I like to just call it amateur. Uh, and experimental, but that that ultimately turned into a flop. Now with music, it's it's all about the creativity. I had fun with it. It was it was exciting. I still make music. Uh, just this morning, I was uh, playing the blues on piano. I've been really getting into that genre, shredding across the keys. But to turn it into a career, that just wasn't wasn't for me. So I was moving on to the next thing, and that was. I think my senior year. Actually, Matthew, if I could pause you for a second. Sure. I would love to sure. dive into this a little bit. Obviously, okay. you're an artist, yeah. artistic and creative person, right? So let's go back to the book launch because, I mean, I imagine this was a, a incredible learning experience for you, right? So you're a young kid. 
you get a book published and I'm sure that made the world to you. And then you realize like that, does, I mean, it's great. Not everybody gets published, but you didn't make many sales. Like <laughs> it had to be the most bittersweet thing in the world. Like what was, what was the learning experience that you got from that? Because I imagine, as you mentioned, that was your first great failure. I'm sure you're an entrepreneur. You know, the failure is the way, right? I mean, it's hard to learn. It's something you need to learn, <laughs> but let's get into that. Like what, what did you learn from your great first failure? Boy, uh, there's a there's a lot to unpack there, and maybe that's why I skipped it over because this opens up uh, Pandora's box in terms of the failures. Um, well, first off, I I didn't try to build a network. I didn't try to build an emotional tie between people who were interested in the book or people around me, and then the book itself, the story. I think I had written really written the story for myself, and I thought it was super exciting. It was full of action, but it. It wasn't like addressed towards a particular audience. There was no market in mind. So most people my age don't read books and they certainly wouldn't buy a book. And then for anyone who's older, more sophisticated, they might not read a novel written by a 17-year-old. So I had absolutely no market fix uh, fit. I had just written it because I wanted to tell a story and... Uh, basically put take Call of Duty and put it into a book, which gives you some insight as to how maybe unprofessional it was, but it still had uh, some good life and uh, moral themes in there. Uh, and then I just, I had to bite the bullet with, I had put a lot of time into something. A lot of people knew about this. Some people said, oh, you're going to become rich and famous now. How exciting. But that's that's never the tale, especially with authors. You know, that's where starving artist that term comes from. And next thing you know, people were discrediting me. It's like, oh, regardless of you being a published author, you put all this work into something and it didn't work out. How pathetic! And that's it's uh, it's tough to live with that. Um, I I didn't let it get to me too personally. Uh, the, the social consequences and then the personal consequences of, well, I dedicated all this time to something and I didn't reap the results I was expecting. And that tends to be a recurring theme in entrepreneurship and certainly many of the ventures that I embarked on and didn't really see anything from it. And that was a huge tale for even the company that I'm working on now, Estates, where it took years of trial and error and persistence and failure before we actually got the traction that was necessary for the company to take off. Absolutely. I'm totally in agreement with you there. I mean, it's hard to realize when you're going through the failure, because as you mentioned, it's very challenging to accept. It's very challenging to go through the societal problems that come with it. But ultimately, you learn far more from failure than you ever learned from winning, uh, or at least I firmly believe that. There's only two things in life. You learn this as an entrepreneur. There's winning and learning. Um, so let's let's move along. You are going to get into your entrepreneurial journey after music. I'd love to dive into music, but I think that's just far too subjective to really dive too far into. So let's talk about what happened after music. Yeah. So after I stopped producing music, uh, I had a friend reach out to me who had been trading the stock market. And uh, he had another friend who was uh, joining him as well in that endeavor. And he said, we're working on a group. Uh, we want to start analyzing the stock market, doing some technical analysis, fundamental analysis, finding great stocks, taking positions in those, 
and then finding a way to monetize that beyond the capital gains. And so I started collaborating with them. And these were friends from school. So we were you know, already friends. Things were um, starting off strong. And we had the website set up and we had a, a giant group on Discord where people would congregate and discuss stock stuff. And then we would wake up every single morning, early in the morning, and start to analyze the market. We had all these cool tools that we would use to scan for movements and momentum. And then, of course, we jump in there and we'd start tracing the charts and um, getting really nerdy about it. Now, despite all of that, and they had a little bit more success than me, but despite all of that, I turned the stock market into gambling, which is a, a big issue for a lot of people who get into the stock market because of the emotional ties in, you know, well, the, the financial reward, the financial loss, and then, you know, FOMO, there's, there's so many psychological elements that people don't realize when you're playing with dopamine and, oh, I can make so much more money and I need to make money. And then that hits where something doesn't work out and you start to question your entire reality. Am I actually super unintelligent? But then of course you have a little bit of beginner's luck and you start to feel like a genius. You are in this constant emotional, psychological roller coaster. In, in the market. And you start to rely on that more than you do your analysis, or at least I did, and that was my fault. And so I would put large sums of money and lose it, gain it back, lose it, gain it back. And I traded away my life savings four or five times. I was saving up money, I was putting into the market, and I would lose it. And I would come back a little bit stronger. And then, you know, what, what really uh, helped me kick the can there was. April of 2021, I believe I was in Tesla and it was on a Friday and my contracts were expiring, which means you either make a good move that day or your entire account goes to zero. Well, my entire account, because I had put everything in on this play, I was so optimistic about it. And, uh, next thing I know, uh, the president was giving a speech and the market didn't take it very well. And $25,000 on that position was gone. And I, I, I was sitting uh, in my, my part-time job looking at my computer screen because I would work and then I would also trade on the side and I try to balance that. And I was looking at my screen and I realized I messed up. I, I just did an abysmal thing. Like I put myself in an unrecoverable position. I, I better come up with something. And it happened to be my last day at work at that job. So zero income at this point and life savings that had just uh, been given away to some major financial institution on the other side of the market. There, it, it was, it was devastating and there is no shortage of life lessons to come out of that. Uh, certainly staying humble would be a big one because um, I was thinking like a, an 18, 19 year old where you watch the Wolf of wall street and then you're like, Oh, Hey, I can become you know, stupid rich trading the stock market and writing everything. And then I can go buy a Lambo. And it, it was ridiculous. It was immature to say the least, but that's what I was glamorizing. And, you know, the people around me in the market, that's how stock market traders often talk and act. And I, I began to embody that. So certainly not doing that, staying humble. And, and, and I, I, eventually applied that and in my next entrepreneurial venture when I decided 
I want my outcome to be determined by my work ethic and my persistence, not, you know, the, the luck of a draw in the market. Yeah, there, yeah, that makes a lot a of lot sense. Let me jump there. in for a second sure, again. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. I actually, I can totally relate to you um, on, on so many levels there, because if you do have a little bit of beginner's luck, you could feel like a genius. Now, this is actually hard for me to admit, man, but I actually turned 7,500 bucks into like 500 grand on a trade. And I kept waiting because I was like, I just needed to double one more time. One more time. It's already doubled like 10 times almost. Um, um Actually, more than that. Yeah. I don't even want to think about it. It hurts thinking about it. <laughs> um, um, so I could relate to that. Um, do you still do stocks? And like, if you do, like, what differentiates investing from gambling? Because I don't do it anymore because I don't play with dopamine like that. It's just, it's just too risky. <laughs> I don't do it anymore either. Uh, ever since I got into uh, the commercial real estate and working on my current business, I have not touched the stock market. And for good reason, the emotional toll and the stress was too much for me to handle. Uh, it it you know really ages you at twice the rate, sitting there watching screens, hoping for the best and receiving the worst. I, I I don't touch that. When it comes to investing versus gambling, well, investing is certainly long term, but like trading effectively versus gambling, I you know I think most people say consistency. That's what it is. Um, when you are trading effectively, you're just looking for little moves to build, you know, $100 a day. And that's your strategy. You have risk assessments, you have a goal, you're in and you're out. Versus gambling, it's everything or nothing, um, unfortunately. And, and that's the way I was looking at it. Throw money into a position. Oh, if everything went perfectly today, I could have a 500% return and then walk away with a new car. And then when it goes the opposite direction, I might as well just hold until it reaches zero, just in case it decides to bounce back. So it's it's a it's a terrible mindset. With gambling, it's there's absolutely no strategy involved. Uh, with trading, certainly there is a strategy in place. And then with investing, you throw patience into the mix and a little bit more conservatism with your financials. And honestly, that's the best outcome. Nobody has ever really gotten rich quick. Well, you can, but it's not often to stay that way. Because yes. It, yes. it reinforces bad habits, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool. So let's continue the transition. I believe we were getting going from stocks to commercial real estate, though. Um, but take me wherever you were going. Yeah, okay. So after the last day at my job and the day I lost everything, as I like to think of it, I, well, I had picked up some part-time work as a DoorDash driver. And this was a really good gig for me because fairly independent person, I like to go out and I can work whatever hours I wanted. I could interact with people. But one evening that summer, my cousin who has been in commercial real estate for almost a decade now, he took me out to dinner and my brother and one of my friends, and he was talking about a problem that he was trying to solve in the industry. He said, I wish my friends could get in on the same deals as me. I have to write fifty to $75,000 checks, which is way out of you know, the financial range for most people. How, how can we democratize this? How can we bring down that entry barrier so that the average person can start investing? Seeing as 
I didn't really have a hill to die on at that point. Stock market wasn't my thing, writing, music. I thought, well, great, I can pursue this now. This is what I'm going to spend the next few years going after. I researched the regulation, some of the technology components. What could we do to take a, a commercial asset and break it up and then make it so that people can just purchase that online? And that brought us to Estates. So I came back with a business plan. I said, look, we can make a business around this, a marketplace. You can put it online. If you put up the money, we can develop this and then turn it into something that's interactive for people around the country to fractionalize commercial real estate or purchase those shares of commercial real estate. And this this was like a light bulb moment. We were super excited about it. He willingly put up the money because it was fundamentally his idea first. And we set off. I led you know, pretty much all the operations. He kind of liked to uh, sit back a little bit more and just make sure we were headed in the right direction, put up the capital when necessary, and then entrusted me, which is huge because like I was 19 uh, with no uh, understanding of business developments at that time and a track record of trying things and failing, but he entrusted me to lead the business. And stepping into those shoes, taking on that responsibility, certainly grew me as a person, an entrepreneur, uh, many times over. But immediately, I, I felt that I was obligated to make this succeed. And so I just put endless you know, uh, hours into this, eight hours a day, and then I would go DoorDash in the evening. We continued to build things along. We certainly had a number of turmoils uh, and trials along the way building estates. And I could certainly go on, you know, 10 minutes each about every problem that we encountered. And maybe that's what you'd like to hear. Um, is, is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a lot to learn from it, but of course it's sort of like a, um, an endless woeful story. Well, I mean, I love hearing about challenges, especially when they're overcome. You know, they, they look a lot different in the in the rear view mirror than when you're experiencing them. Because, I mean, there are times when they feel insurmountable. Um, but, I mean, like I said earlier, I don't think you learn much more than from the challenges that you overcome. I think that's truly what makes an entrepreneur because I think we're a, a risk-averse personality type. So <laughs> we tend to find ourselves in challenging situations. But I also think that's where the most growth comes. Um, like you learn more from a failure than you'll ever learn from a success. Like always, like if I flipped a house and I lost money on it, I know how to not lose money next time because I won't repeat those tasks. So yeah, I mean, if you're game to talk about the failures, I would love to dive into it. Sure, yeah, I, I didn't want it to sound like uh, I just have this endless um, path of failures and that I am a failure. And that's, I guess that's a, a big thing that we should touch on eventually because at this point, you know, failure after failure, you start to embody that result as your character. Like you, you, you adopt it where you start to think, I can't do anything right. And this was something that I only recently overcame and that would be jumping ahead, you know, the, the whole imposter syndrome that goes into that feeling um, dis unqualified. But anyways, so the, the first big problem that we ran into was that we had a total miscommunication with our initial software development team. And by miscommunication, I really mean bad business. And they 
really set in motion a series of events that we are still dealing with the fallouts, dealing with the fallouts of what they did to us. And I would not necessarily describe them as the most honest business. And so they charged us a lot to build our platform and they did not deliver that platform. They strung us along. They told us that they were working on it. Did my best to do due diligence and figure everything out and communicate with the team, understand where we were in terms of progress. And they would tell me these really exciting things. We just finished this. Look at the demo here. And then that house of cards collapsed. And we realized that we had put hundreds of thousands of dollars into building a web and mobile platform, never received the mobile platform and the web platform didn't work. And not only that, it was unattractive. And so this whole time we're trying to sell the idea of estates, but people aren't buying it because it really was a mirage. It was dysfunctional. And the timeline just kept going on and on. And it's one thing to be going through adversity, but it's another thing when that adversity stretches on for what feels like forever and you are dealing with it day after day after day. That's a whole new level of stress where it's practically endless. That was absolutely disheartening. Um, I, I really struggled with that. My whole team struggled with that for a while where we felt like there wasn't necessarily a light at the end of the tunnel. We were in the tunnel and we were surrounded by darkness. How do you navigate forward? But as leader of the company, that was my job. I had to feel for the walls and point us in the right direction. And that's very tricky because um, you could say that I don't necessarily have life experience or didn't at that time. And so how, how, how do you <laughs> um, go? I, I don't even know how to put it into words. Um so I'm going to skip over that until it comes to my mind, uh, what exactly I was looking uh, to say. But I knew one thing, and that was that I had an obligation to lead. I had to be the visionary. I had to be the stable figure in the network where no matter what was coming my way, I was going to spin that optimistically and direct us forward. I was not going to break. I was going to have an indomitable spirit and no less. You, as soon as the leader starts to show signs of fear or questioning the business, everything else tumbles. And that's a lot of responsibility to put on the shoulders of a, a young person and someone who has no experience dealing with that level of adversity. I, I guess that's what I was trying to get at before, where that is a lot to expect from a person who has not experienced it before. And now it's not just the struggles of life. There's money on the line. There's business. Um, that's a lot at once. But I did overcome it, and it's it's made me such an incredible leader. I like to think as a result. So that was the first major issue that we dealt with. I had picked out a dev team. They underperformed, and that was that reflected upon me as a leader because I I, I do believe in extreme ownership, and so I had to own that. There was no one to blame. The next issue that we ran into was with the product that we had, or at least the shell of a product. When we tried to take that to market and entice people to get involved, they didn't like it. 
we had spent all this time building this technology and this product. And we were super excited about it. But there was, again, not really a, a market for it. Now, tokenization, which is sort of the, the industry that we're in, in that we are breaking down institutional grade commercial real estate assets so that people can purchase those more easily and invest more easily. Tokenization, that's the technology behind it. When we go to people and we say tokenization, they'd say, I don't know what that means. And then we would try to explain it. And they would say, too complicated. I don't get it. My investors won't get it. I'm no longer interested. And so we realized, okay, we bet a lot on this technology. And the technology isn't actually what we're selling here. So we had to go back to the drawing board. And you know, every every company goes through this. This was our pivots. This was our rebranding when we started to realize, oh, we have to sell value, not just sell a gimmick. Um, and that's exactly what we did. So I started analyzing, okay, how are we actually benefiting investors and property owners? And how can we package that? How can we brand it? How do we put that into whatever product we're trying to build here and then bring that back out to market? It was tough to make that decision. Uh, but one thing that I think helped make that decision easier was that blockchain simply became unamusing to most people at that time. It was very popular in 20, 2020, 2021, a little bit into 2022. And then it just kind of fell off the face of the earth. We still wanted to leverage the technology, but we realized we couldn't depend on that. So as the market sentiment shifted, that was our indicator that, all right, we need to take a new perspective here and really focus on the customer and what they're looking for, as opposed to riding the hype train of the technology at that time and um, all, all the, the startup sentiments around it. We really got caught up in that. It was the best thing to ever happen to us. And I, I guess that's the case with a lot of adversity where a wrench is thrown into your system. You are forced to detach, take a step back, reanalyze, and suddenly you have this epiphany and you come out the other side much better off. Even what we're mm -hmm. working through right now, I hope that's the truth. Because um, like any startup, we have our fair share of struggles and if there's anything that I should have learned from history, it's that when we are going through a time like this, or when I'm going through a time like this, there's the, the grass is greener on the other side. So just keep on through it or keep pushing, pushing on through. Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. 
And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go and most importantly, how you want to get there. Where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Absolutely, man. So let's discuss this because you've come across this this same conclusion twice now. So I'd love to see how you remedied it. You've already touched on it a little bit. So you said you had a product, but you didn't have a product market fit. So what would number one, what would your recommendation be to somebody that is trying to develop a product? Um, Because I'm a fan of the sell then build strategy, then you know, you have product market fit. Um, (laughs) So number one, how would you recommend it? And then how did you resolve that? Did you do a lot of market research? Did you find out what people want so that you because oftentimes it's the messaging, right? It's like the product might be the same, but the way that you spin the product is what changes. I would just love um, your revelations in that regard. Yeah, we did variations of both. So fundamentally, our product is still the same in that we are fractionalizing commercial real estate, but we're focusing on how that's benefiting everyone involved instead of just trying to sell it on the basis of this is really cool. This is innovative. You should totally buy this. That doesn't work. Now we're focusing on the relationships between property owners and investors, uh, cutting costs, streamlining, simplifying the industry, and all these other things that actually click with people. To come to that conclusion, we just got rejected a bunch, both from investors into our company and from customers. So we we took what we had and I would go to real estate developers and I'd say, "What, what do you think about this? Would you like to raise capital in this method? Would you like to tokenize your asset? And more times than not, the answer was no. Now I have had at least one person say, oh, I really love tokenization. I would love to tokenize my properties. And he, he was just in it for the technology and that's okay. But the rest of the people aren't focused on that, especially in commercial real estate where you have so much to uh, worry about already. And it's the, the industry is predominantly focused around making a financial return. And so that's what you have to cater to. So I spoke with real estate developers and I began to tweak my pitch each time, focusing on new value propositions, new services that we could provide, and evolving that product along the way. And then, of course, started to get positive feedback. And same thing from investors uh, in the startup scene. Initially, absolutely nothing, totally blown off. Then, as I started to evolve the vision, the product, um, and change how we presented ourselves, investors started to click. And I, you know, I always say if at some point when you are trying to form a relationship with someone and you are continuously rejected, at some point you have to realize that the problem is not the other people, 
It's you. You have to change. And so at first, I thought, well, these these investors just aren't getting it. Or these real estate developers are just going to have to be behind the curve. But I, I came to realize, actually, it was on us. It, it, it was my fault. I was not selling properly. We built something that we were really interested in and didn't think about the customer at all. Again, to evolve that, you know, again, forming those uh, relationships, communicating, talking with customers, doing that market research, like you said, where you are selling first and then building the product second. Now, we did not do that, but that would have been the best strategy because then we would have been able to build our product more efficiently and effectively, as opposed to putting a bunch of money into trying to build this build this out, failing, essentially seeing that as a sacrifice at this point, and then continually evolving, putting in more capital, fixing things, trying to get back to market. What a great answer, man. So were there any other major challenges that you guys went through, or would you rather take us to a rosier pasture here and talk about the successes (laughs) that you've had? That's a good question. Uh, we could we could touch on the the rosy success, but before we do, I, I think every entrepreneur has to know that this is there's there's hardly any glory in this. There is there's no gold, there's no glory. It really sucks being an entrepreneur. Now I'm in a very unique situation where a I'm young, b I'm living in practically the middle of the woods, and so. I'm sort of socially isolated, which I would not recommend at all. When you are an entrepreneur, you need to be surrounded by as many people as possible so that you can be reaffirmed. Uh, You have people to counsel with just being within close proximity with other people. It is, it'll save you. It really, it really will. Uh, So don't do that. That would be another thing uh, that you could learn from me. Um, in terms of major challenges that eStates has encountered, yeah, messaging, product, product market fits. There are definitely small challenges along the way. You, you need to uh, account for a lot of obstacles, more than you could ever imagine. And that being said, everything is going to take longer than you could imagine. There's a couple laws that come to mind I can't remember if it's Hochstetter's law. Um, and then there's, of course, the law that everything that could go wrong does go wrong. Murphy's law. But both of those both of those apply. And you need to have those in your head at all time where no matter how well you think things are going, it could change in an instance. In an instance. That was very true for us. Over and over and over again. I feel like we never caught a break. I still feel like I have not had that that breakthrough moments uh, where everything is okay. And I don't know that a lot of founders and entrepreneurs are going to experience that because fundamentally taking something from the ground up where it's in a dead state and then trying to revive that and bring it to life, you are always less than well, the company actually being alive and thriving. You're always in that building state that we we should, we could be further along. And so you have to live with that where it's, 
a constant uh, instability, a lack of security, a lack of success where you're just trudging onward and onward. Um, what's, what's the, uh, the, the Greek analogy? Is it um, Sisyphus who is pushing the boulder up the hill uh, to no end? Oh, I wish I knew, my man. Um, I wish I knew. I was actually reading about some Greek mythology this morning, surprisingly, but it wasn't that one. So um, <laughs> I, I wish I could tie that together for you. Well, uh, but whoever actually, might be, let that's... me comment on that. Yeah. Um, because you had you had glossed over um, imposter syndrome a little bit earlier, and I'm getting a sense of that as somebody that knows imposter syndrome intimately. Um, <laughs> it's just... Um, I think it's extremely common in entrepreneurs, right? Because you never yes, do feel absolutely. like you've arrived. Even when you accomplish right. your goals, you have more goals because action begets more action, results gets more results, and you're just you're never satisfied. Um, and that's just eventually something you need to come get to come to grips with. It's just like you know what? I'm never going to be satisfied, so I need to try to live in the moment a little bit and celebrate my successes. Because if you look back, they're very real, man. You had a book published. Um, <laughs> you've done so many awesome things already and it's it's hard to recognize a success when you're the one that did it um like just for example like i did a podcast with somebody else in his introduction i was like man that sounded really cool when you said it when i when i think back i just think of all the challenges and stuff like that and it wasn't nearly as fun as it sounds like when you say it that way um so just something i think for you to keep in mind, celebrate the successes. Like that's, I have to force myself to do so. I'll sit down and be like, what, what was good that happened? What can I be really happy about? Um, because that'll really help you live a more fulfilled life because you're having successes. Obviously the challenges are there and they probably occupy more of your headspace, but the challenges bring the success. You're absolutely right. So to touch on both of those, uh, gratefulness and gratitude, very important. I do have to force myself to recognize those. I'm constantly overwhelmed by all the problems that I forget. Hey, there's a roof over my head. I do eat three meals a day. Life could be a lot worse. And the, the company could be where it was a year ago and have not progressed, or we could have called it quits. So yes, things, things are in a, a great position. But I don't know how often I admit that to myself or admit my capabilities as a leader. And that goes into the imposter syndrome, where I am constantly trying to accomplish as much as possible so that I feel that I am eminently qualified to lead the company and be socially recognized and respectable within the industry, but I never feel like I fulfill that. And it's very tricky at a young age. Uh, I, I think that's a big part of it where you're going up against titans and like a small company like us, we're going up against institutions. How can we ever feel that we are as good that you know, despite all the things that we're doing right, it's justified. Uh, same thing with me as a leader. I would say, and I would hope and humbly, uh, that I'm doing an okay job leading. But like, why why do I deserve the role? And and I, I think about that a lot. And I I hope that I don't get lost in thought here trying to think about it. So Ultimately, it's it's just we never feel qualified. We don't. It's so difficult. But we have to acknowledge that our life experience and the, the actions that we took 
that brought us to this very moment and put us in this position are enough and it warrants you know the role that we take on if if someone else had connected the dots and was thinking like me then they would be the CEO of estates they would have had their their estates before me but they didn't so you know what are the 1 in 10 million chances that allowed this to happen i, I guess ultimately i should be pretty grateful uh, despite all things Absolutely, Ben. Um, yeah, I'll challenge your thought process on one of those things. Aleta. You, you mentioned, like, how can I be as good as these large institutions? And I think, um, I mean, that goal is tremendous long term. I say go for it on a very long horizon. But if, when you're thinking on the short term, man, you, you need to think, like, how can we be the best company that we can be? Um, because that is ultimately going to bring you more results than trying to compete with, uh, I don't know who you're competing with, but let's just say Goldman Sachs or whoever the big firms might be. Um, that's it's a, it's a lofty. Um, that's why it's going to be difficult for you to sit in the moment and enjoy your successes because you're comparing yourself to companies that have been around for forever. Um, so <laughs> you're very young. Um, you have a very young company. Um, I think entrepreneurs in general have a certain mindset. So that's why imposter syndrome is common among us <laughs> because we think a little bit differently, typically speaking. Um, so. I don't want to be on a down note this whole thing. We got about five yes. more minutes, man. Let's do talk about your successes. I don't want to just talk <laughs> about the challenges because I know you've gotten to great places because we wouldn't be talking if you didn't. So let's talk about some of those um, accomplishments. Yeah, absolutely. If I knew, if I had known that we only had five minutes left, I would have split that a little bit more evenly because that means we're about 85%, 90% negativity. And while that is a reality for a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, there is the other side. You do have your breakthrough. If you persist at something long enough, you pay off your time debt, you do uh, eventually succeed. And we are seeing that. And it's, it is fascinating to see all of our hard work and to connect the dots in retrospect. Steve Jobs said that you can only connect the dots looking back and realizing that, oh, all of these issues that we encountered allowed us to become who we are today as a company, as a team, and as individuals. It is adversity, you know, going through adversity together that creates the strongest relationships. And that's why, whether it's my C-suite or my advisors or my investors or my friends and partners, we've been through a lot together. And our, our force combined is one to be reckoned with. Like there is a really strong relationship here. And the amount of spirits, ambition and passion and perseverance that goes into that uh, to get over all those obstacles. I, I think that alone is a competitive advantage in the market. I look at the competitors and I don't necessarily see that synergy. Now, of course, I, I, I don't, I can't see inside of their minds, but I think the community knows. And that's why there is a lot of warm sentiment in our community. People understand our struggle and I guess it is pretty important to share that story of how hard you have worked to get to a position or else people think it's an overnight success or they think that you're just another institution trying to step in and extract some value. But we have put in blood, sweat and tears to get where we are to build something worthy of a sale, you know, uh, to make that exchange our, our product for that person's money. It's, it's not just because we're trying to make money. Uh, it's, we really did 
our time to make sure that our product was right, that our solution was right, and that we are people-based, relationship-based, not just money and power. So yes, things are going pretty well for us. In fact, just yesterday, we did uh, soft launch the platform. We've been working on a new iteration, rebuilding things. Uh, There's never a shortage of things to work on, especially bugs to squash and software developments. It is a constant evolution, but we're doing pretty well now. Um, Between our qualified leads and our sales pipeline, the community that we've built, the platform that we have, the crowdfund that we launched, the capital that we've raised... Uh, the marketing opportunities, the publicity events, it is really picking up. And so (laughs) I kind of feel bad now for talking about all the negativity for 90% of the episode because we are in a really cool position. But it took forever to get here. You know, the the exponential curve that people talk about in success, Mm -hmm. we just hit that curve point where it's flat, 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 nothing is happening. And then you start to to see Mm -hmm. it. But no matter what, if you stick with something long enough, you certainly do reach that point. That's every entrepreneur's story ever. Some people will go decades. Yeah. I think about that too. It's like, oh yeah, the last year sucked. Okay. Well, what about people who failed for 50 years? If I'm seeing success, then I guess at least that's not me. Like I sh- I'm, should be really grateful that I was able to figure this out in 12 or 24 months and not and not have this company fail because this company could have failed just like all the other adventures. And who knows, it may still, that's something that I have to live with. And that's where I'm in that constant dread states and the imposter syndrome where it's, oh, maybe we're not good enough. But that's that's not the case just yet. And so I'm going to ride that momentum and stay optimistic. Yeah. As you should. Most companies fail, I think, if you look at the statistics. So, I mean, it's just part of the journey, man. If it fails, you just start another one. At least that's what I think. I couldn't possibly work for anybody else at this point. Um, dude, I, I, I think it was absolutely tremendous what we did get into. I'd love to give you a point to um, talk about what you guys are working on right now, number one, and then um, where can the audience get in touch with you if they wanted to do so? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been building eStage, eStates, which is a platform synchronizing fundraising, investing, and property management for commercial real estate. Now, what does that mean? That means if you're trying to diversify your investment portfolio, now you can add commercial real estate. We've made it accessible where for $500, you can get in on those same institutional grade strategies that are being used by the giant financial banks and uh, investment groups. This is an unprecedented opportunity where the world's most uh, old and lucrative capital market is now available to the middle class. On the flip side of that, well, what are the investors investing into? Those are properties and those are property owners who are looking to raise capital. So we also help real estate developers and owners who want to fractionalize those assets and sell fractional ownership of their properties. All of that meets in the middle on our marketplace. We help facilitate that transaction, investors and the property owners. Then, of course, we have some software tools to help optimize returns and, uh, you know, streamline and better uh, increase efficiency in the property operations. But really our mission from the beginning is how do we make commercial real estate more accessible? How do we bring down those entry barriers and foster a new relationship between the property owners and the investors? And that's what eStates does. So you can go to eStates.com and that's spelt as e-states.com. 
You can also find us on all of the major social media platforms, and you can find me on all uh, major social media platforms. Most of the time, my handle is Real Matt Schneider. There's a lot of Matthew Schneiders, but I'm the real one. Uh, so, yes. Um, let's see, any other prominent links? I, I think that sums it up. Yeah. Those. Oh, absolutely tremendous. Um, anybody listening, um, you know where to reach out to him. I think um, young kid, tremendous um, discipline, obviously um, just so much going for you, man. I'm super excited to see where this goes. Um, Matthew Schneider, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. In the entrepreneur's journey, failure is the way. It is not about what you do or what you accomplish. You need to fail. You need to fail consistently to get where you want to go. What matters most is not what you accomplish. It matters how well you can walk through the flames. So thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 